Welcome to Phoenix Rising. I am your host, Kaylee Montoya Houston. I am a certified personal trainer and online nutrition coach. I will be joined by my co-host, Julie Montoya Houston. This show will cover all aspects of fitness, including nutrition, exercise, and mindset to help you reach your goals at any stage of your journey. We will bring you science-based information to help you take charge of your fitness goals and give you the power to rise like a phoenix. All right, welcome back to Phoenix Rising, episode 16 here. I will be joined as always by my co-host, Julie Montoya Houston, and we're going to take a deep dive into fasting and actually why it is a terrible idea for sustainable fat loss. You're going to take a deep dive into fasting and what it is because this is actually a topic that I'm not super familiar with, at least, I mean, I'm familiar with what it is, but I don't know a lot of the science behind it, so... You're going to kind of take us on a ride, and I'm probably going to ask questions that I think a normal listener would have, because okay. I'm going to know about as much as they do, probably. So That sounds good. I think that'll work out well, actually. Hopefully we answer some of your guys' questions, and if maybe you've been fasting yourself for a while and noticed tremendous results in the beginning, but now your body's starting to fight back, maybe you can learn why during this episode, and maybe some things that you can do instead. Sweet. Well, let's dive in. Okay. So first off, I would like to start off with just what is fasting? What is the definition of fasting? And it's super simple. It's just abstaining from something, whether that be food, drink, sex, phones. I mean, technology. I mean, you can fast from just about anything. And I'm not going to dog fasting this entire episode because I do think it can be beneficial to your health, but you'll find out that I don't believe that it's the great for fat loss. Um, so there's all kinds of different fasting when it comes to food itself. And the most common one that you hear about nowadays, the fad is going to be IF, which is this intermittent fasting. So this is just going a certain amount of time without food, basically. I think a very common one that I hear brought up the most is the 18 or the 816. So you're eating in an eight-hour window, and you're restricting or fasting from eating in a 16-hour window. That's a pretty common one. Um, another one is the 5-2 fast, where you go five days eating normal, and then two days you're going to restrict calories all the way down to 500. That sounds terrible. <laughs> and you don't have to have them together, but usually you just have one meal that day, if that, or you can fast go without food for 24 hours but normally it's keeping it under 500 to 600 calories in a day there's um 24 hour fast 36 72 and longer now those can be very dangerous if you've never attempted to go that long without a fast so definitely if you're going to choose to opt longer than 24 hours i would definitely seek medical advice going into something like that but Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history, like where and who created it, and I'm going to be corrected because... Hip-Hop Anonymous, let's go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, because my vocabulary pronunciation is never the greatest, but fasting has actually been around since the 5th century BC, and that's when the Greek physician, Hippocrates... Hip-Hop Anonymous. Yeah, recommended... She said it right, by the way. (laughs) I did. It usually doesn't happen. 
but he recommended abstaining from food or drink for patients who ex exhibited certain symptoms of illness. So it was to treat medical conditions. It was not for weight loss or fat loss specifically. I feel like we're diving down the keto trap again. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing with the keto trap. Right, definitely. Keto diet. Yeah, keto trap is accurate as for well. For medical purposes. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of religious practices use fasting. I mean, we have Lent and you have um, Ramadan, I believe, where you don't eat during the daylight hours and you only eat after... I feel like I don't know a whole lot about that. I, I'm not versed on that as either, right. but I do feel like Ramadan is one of those things. But yeah. I'm I'm not sure about yeah. that either. Yep. Yeah. No, I think they fast completely. I think from liquids and everything. If I, I don't know. like I said, I don't know. But I mean, they treat they do um, for for health purposes. A lot of times, there's proven studies that if you're um, going through like chemo treatment and stuff like that, fasting can repopulate uh, healthy cells in your body now, after you begin eating again. I have heard you talk about how fasting can uh, help with the process of autophagy, which is yes. the, the dying of, or what is it? It's the getting rid of the bad, the dead cells. And basically the ones that are not functioning properly. So ones that are like basically half working or not working well, if you're, as long as you continue eating, it kind of just keeps them around. Just like life support, basically. Right. But if you go without food, your body is needing to basically conserve all the energy it can because it's not getting that energy. So, so it kills it's gonna, off the weak links, basically. Exactly. It gets rid of them. So once you begin eating again, then you rebuild new immune cells. So they're much stronger and healthier than those ones that were just kind of half-ass working. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay, so I wondered where that played in with what you were just saying. Yes, with the chemo and everything. Yeah, because for medical reasons. Because chemo is going to fry some of your cells. Right. Good, bad doesn't chemo doesn't right care because it's killing cancer cells as well, which is the good thing. We still need chemo. I mean, I don't want to say we don't. Oh no, no, I, no. I don't want people to think out there that they have cancer so they can just fast and they don't no, need chemo. No, no, no. That but it helps chemo. It helps a process, basically. Not saying that you don't need it because of it. It can no, help no, you no. recover better from chemo. No, I totally get what you're saying. I just didn't want anybody to misunderstand. So, um, I guess my question was, though, before I wanted to clarify that, is, so, is it fasting with chemo, is that to help get rid of some of those cells that chemo has killed off and, and bring back healthier, newer ones to help your body rejuvenate after that process? Yes, that is correct. Okay. At least that was my take. Okay. It, from everything that I've researched. Now, some people have said, too, it helps with diabetes. Is that myth or is there fact to that? Uh, there is some fact to that. Um, definitely, and before we go any further, because a lot of times we're going to list the benefits, of course, of fasting but and some of the repercussions, but people with advanced diabetes or on medication for diabetes and with the people with a history of eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia, Anyone who is pregnant or breastfeeding, um, you should not attempt fasting unless you're under a, a close supervision of a doctor. So I don't want you to listen to this podcast and say, oh, all these great things, I'm going to go try it because there is some repercussions to this. So don't just go try that without speaking to your doctor first. But um, there is proven benefits of decreased heart rate. Um, decreased blood pressure, um, lower LDL levels, increased insulin sensitivity. So when it comes to diabetes, uh, the more that you can become um, insulin sensitive, the better, because that's what diabetes is all about, is the insulin levels of regulation in your body. Um, 
fasting can reduce inflammation and it can improve your cognitive ability. But I also want to clarify that all these things that fasting can benefit, they can also be achieved just through a calorie deficit and losing some body fat. So they're not specific to fasting. You can get the same benefits through a calorie restriction. Well, realistically, I mean, what you were saying to me, if I'm doing the math in my head, if you're doing, I'm just, because I, it feels, I feel like it would be easier. Let's look at the five, two for an example. Right. So you eat for five days and then for two days you cut down to, to just 500 calories. So just for easy math, let's say you eat 2000 calories a day. So 2000 calories a day for five days of the week is 10,000 calories. Yes. Okay. So that's 10,000 calories. And then you add a thousand more because two of the last two days you're only eating 500. So that's what? 11,000 calories per day. Sure. Or I mean for a week, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. For a week. Okay. Yeah. So 11,000 calories for the week. Now, if you eat, what did I say? 2000 calories a day. Yeah. If you eat that all seven days, that's 14,000 calories. So you're only cutting out on the average 3000 calories. Right. And if you divide that by seven days, I mean, if we just say six for simple math, that's only dropping 500 calories a day. You could not put yourself through that horrible time of not eating for almost 24 hours just until from dinner to dinner, basically. Right. You could save yourself some hardship and just drop down to 1,500 calories a day. Now, keep in mind, I just said that I was doing those numbers for easy math. Right. And so actually, it would be a little less if you added that other day in there. Right. Yeah. I could pull out my calculator right now and do it to get good numbers, but I don't see the point. I mean, we're, I think we're painting the picture here. Yes. And of course, like I said, I would not, 1500 calories is not going to be a, I don't want people to take that number and run with it because that's, it's not a one size fits all type of thing. Right. We're just using it for easy math. It, it, easy math, easy example. If you eat 2000 calories, instead of doing two days of not eating, you could simply just take it down to 1500 calories every day and you would get the same result without the unpleasant hunger two days. Right. We're, I guess the point we're really trying to make is there is nothing special about fasting for fat loss or weight loss. It's nothing that you couldn't achieve through a calorie deficit. So would you label it as a fad diet? Yes. If, okay, so let, I guess let's clarify. <laughs> yeah. If we're using it for fat loss. It is definitely a fad diet. Now, you have said that there are medical benefits, and in that yes. case, but. When it comes to fat loss, I'd, I would consider it a fad, fad diet. diet. And what is the fail rate of a fad diet usually? 95%. No. It's like 85 to 85. 95. Yeah, 85 I kn- to 95. I knew the answer. I, got the- <laughs> I knew the answer, but you're running the show today. So, right. um, yeah, 85 to 95% fail rate of fad diets. So if you're using fasting for fat loss, I so I know... There's a 5% chance you're going to succeed. There's not only a, only a 5% chance you're going to succeed, but you're also... I mean, I don't. maybe some people it's good for them, but that would be miserable for me. So not only am I have a very slight chance of succeeding, but I'm going to be miserable. This all sounds terrible to me. So I guess give us some, some other insight here. I mean, you've already sold me on not doing it, but I mean, please carry yeah. on and give yes. us some more. I am. I'm going to because, um, in our coaching, we do work with a lot of women. I do work with some men, and it's actually going to be different based on your sex. Right. And depending on how well fasting will work. And there's tons of studies out there, especially when it comes to men on fasting. There's there's not as much research on women, but when you do find the research on women, it is definitely not the same as you see with men. 
Um, definitely. Why? What uh, you may have been able to getting ready to go into that, yeah. but why is it the hormone differences or definitely our hormone differences? Men's hormones definitely are they don't vary like women. I mean, testosterone plays a big role, and it's it's testosterone is a steady hormone, whereas our homo- hormones when you go into the luteal phase and what are the other phases? Follicular. Follicular. Is there another one, or is it just luteal and follicular? Okay, so I know that our estrogen and progesterone progesterone. Is going to either rise or fall, depending. Right. So, okay. So, that's, that's the difference. Because women yes. have testosterone, and it's pretty steady for both sexes very, as very, well. Right. It's very low, of course, compared right, to right, men, right, but right. it stays steady. Right. Like, women have, their primary sex hormones are estrogen and progesterone. Correct. Progesterone. I don't know why progesterone. that's... <laughs> I don't know why that's throwing me today. Um, but our testosterone is also steady, like a man, except males, their predominant sex hormone is testosterone. They also have estrogen and progesterone, but they it's don't, very, very, estrogen. very low. They have estrogen, yes. not progesterone. Yes. Okay. So that's the difference right. is they have high testosterone, low estrogen, and we have high estrogen, low testosterone. Yes. Got it. Okay. Correct. So how does that affect? Correct. Well, actually, um, and I, if you guys joined us for our live earlier this morning, I kind of went into a tangent and a rant on this. Um, but we did talk a little bit about, um, basically in our past when we lived in the hunter gatherer societies, uh, men and and women both adapted to periods of plenty and sacredy or why can't I say that word? Scarcity. Scarcity. Thank you. Hip hop anonymous. (laughs) Right. I told you guys me and my pronunciation. It's okay. I struggled with pronunciation. See, right? progesterone. Good gracious. Maybe we should not be recording today. I know. Sorry, guys. Hopefully, you guys are still willing to follow along. But basically, they can laugh at us. I know. So, we basically adapted to having famine, little food, to no food, to times of feast when we would make, when the men basically of the tribe would make a kill on, uh, on a meat, we would eat it all and all at once. And then we would go long periods without any meat because. Unfortunately, it's not like they could kill an animal every single day. So men were definitely generally larger in size, and they responded to fasting with a giant boost in their metabolic rate. And this metabolic boost gave them the fuel necessary to hunt. So essentially, when you're thinking about it, men's genetic makeup says, go get food for everyone when they haven't had much to eat. And research reveals that genetic uh, adaptions to periods of this little food can actually be seen in humans today. So during short periods of fasting, we're thinking 12 to 24 hours, a men's metabolism increases up to 14%. So other effects on fasting on the male body include an increase between 10 and 200% in testosterone utilization and an increase between 100 and 200% in growth hormone. So this is a huge increase and a, a good thing and an improvement in their blood lipids to support the increased hormonal, hormonal production, sorry, and a decreased risk factors of cardiovascular disease. So all very good things when it comes to fasting. But women, however, do not respond to fasting like men do. In, hunter, in hunter-gatherer societies, women's bodies responded to periods of little food differently than the bodies of the men did. So women's metabolism slowed down to conserve energy and store fat in order to survive a potential long-term famine. So what this means is 
intermittent fasting does not work well for women's bodies. So I'm, cause we're both women's health specialists. So listening to this description, I'm going to ask a question and you may not be able to answer it and that's totally fine. Yeah. But what you're saying is I'm hearing, first of all, we know that the humans, hum, the humans, we know humans, our body is very adaptable and it's adapted basically to keep us alive it's adapted to keep us alive and to keep us able to reproduce which is why when a woman goes too low in her calories her cycle shuts down because her body doesn't have the energy to allow it to become pregnant right it doesn't have the ability that energy to support another life force within its body right so i'm kind of listening to what you're saying and i'm kind of relating what you're saying to my thought process on this so in hunter gatherer days Mm -hmm. the 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 goal here was to keep our tribe large because then we were less vulnerable if we were in a large tribe. Correct. So the women would hold body fat and holding body fat keeps our cycles going. Yep. So we could reproduce. So we could reproduce. Right. And also in the study, um, when, when the fasting boast, boosted metabolic rate and weight loss in men, when it came to women, they found a 50% increase in cortisol level levels and a decrease in insulin sensitivity as a result. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying this show, please do me a huge favor and take a screenshot of this episode and share it to your story on IG or Facebook and tag me on IG at Kaylee Montoya Fitness or on Facebook at Kaylee Montoya Houston so I can reach out and thank you personally. Also, if you haven't already, don't forget to rate and review us on wherever you get your podcast from. This greatly helps the show grow so we can help more people reach their own health and fitness goals. So this means that intermittent fasting could actually contribute to obesity and diabetes instead of health benefits for women. So men, you see that increased insulin sensitivity, you see a metabolic boost, you see all kinds of good factors. But when it comes to women, you see the exact opposite for the most part. So most of you ladies out there are trying to intermediate fast. You're normally doing it to see fat loss. And when in actuality, you're making it or could be making it much harder on yourself when you do this. So just definitely I want you to, of course don't take our word 100% but we, we try to do our research for you and do your own research on everything that we say because there's always two sides to the coin well I think this is where I struggle because and, and I I do I always believe that we are putting out great information otherwise we wouldn't do it we would not right. generally put out information we know is crap if we have you know listeners we're very fond of our listeners and our clientele so we obviously want to give them the best information where i struggle is is we always preface these things with talk to your medical professional but here we're talking about diets and nutrition so this is where i get into it because we both know that most there's always caveats there's always those this first part (laughs) there's always outliers but most most physicians medical doctors mds do not have nutrition education right they do not go to school for nutrition and they don't believe they have to take very little hours of coursework for nutrition yeah i mean we should pull up some random like awesome medical school and look at the curriculum hours if that if that 
And I went to college. Six hours is two classes. Right. Right. I don't know. I just... And that's if they they have that much. Agreed. Yeah. It just, uh, I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying that doctors are a bad thing. I think doctors are a great thing. And I think oh, they... of course. I think your doctor, most people's doctors, truly have their best interests in mind. I agree. However, I just don't know if that's the right... For acute medical purposes, doctors and physicians are amazing. No, no, no. That's, yes. that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I but don't know if the doctor is the right person to solely put all your eggs into the basket if you want to talk to them about nutrition. I agree. That is what I'm trying to say. Now, I'm not saying put all of your eggs in our basket either. Oh, no. But I'm saying do your own research. Talk to medical professionals. Listen to nutrition coaches. Listen to registered dietitians. Listen to nutritionists. They're all different. Put it... Take everything together and take an average of each of what you're what you're getting. Right. And then obviously you have to make the tough choice and you have to do what you think is best for you. I agree. Now, there is one thing I also wanted to go in that if you are if you do believe that fasting is for you and you do want to try it out, because of course, like I said, we don't want to just take our word. Definitely every individual is different and fasting may work for some women. I just don't believe it works very often. Instead of the traditional, and this is how I find most people use it, and they think it's the easiest way, is they wake up and they skip breakfast. And they don't eat till like, say, 11 to 1, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And then they eat until evening. So instead of doing it this traditional way, there's actually been studies, and I'm going to read you a study um, on doing it the exact opposite, basically. And this is why. So based on this, researchers from the University of Alabama conducted a study. I don't know why I said Alabama like that. That was funny. Alabama. <laughs> um, but they, with a small group, so they did this study with a small group of obese men with prediabetes. Now, understand this was with men, not women. So they compared a form of intermittent fasting called early time-restricted feeding where all meals fit into an early eight-hour period of the day, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., or spread out evenly over 12 hours, between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Both groups maintained their weight, did not gain or lose, but after five weeks, the eight-hour group had dramatically lower insulin levels and significantly improved insulin sensitivity, as well as a significantly lower blood pressure. And the best part, the eight-hour group also had a decreased appetite so they weren't starving from this time-restricted feeding so just by simply changing the timing of the meals by eating earlier in the day and extending the overnight fast they they had benefited metabolism and and the people who did and they even though they didn't lose a single pound so their metabol meta metabolic rate oh my gosh improved but they didn't receive any kind of fat loss so just from this study, this would make me think that maybe by blunting cortisol early in the morning, so when you feed yourself in the morning, when you eat food, you're basically blunting cortisol. Cortisol is supposed to be, if we're on the right curve, is supposed to be highest in the morning, lowest in the evening. So this is when uh, melatonin takes over in the evening to help us go to sleep. But if you don't eat first thing in the morning, your cortisol is going to stay elevated, especially in women. So maybe if you choose to eat early in the morning until say three four o'clock in the evening that maybe that sort of fasting is going to benefit you better but again this is just 
based off my take from the study that it could be better for you. I actually used to fast where I didn't eat until at least lunch. I mean, yeah, that's how most people do it. But it wasn't for weight loss. It was because I have some gut health issues or I did have some gut health issues and I my body just physically could not handle food first thing oh. in the morning. And it could have been something with the gut-mind connection and the high cortisol. Something right. about the high cortisol could have spiked some anxiety and gut health connection. I mean, we know that right. there's a gut-brain connection. Right. Definitely. So it wasn't for weight loss. But. Right. Um, one other thing about fasting that I do want to mention when it comes to women and being able to lose body fat and keep it off sustainably is, is it's extremely hard to reach uh, higher levels of protein intake because um, for most women it's hard to get enough in a day anyways when you're eating three or four meals so if you choose to only eat two meals a day I mean based off your weight so say if say I'm 150 pounds and I only eat two meals a day I'm aiming to get 150 grams of protein and that is nearly impossible for me to eat what is that, 70? What were your numbers, sorry? 150. So I'm trying to get 150 grams of protein. If I eat two meals, I'm having to eat 70 grams yeah. of protein 75. at least. 75. That is, men can do that a little easier. I mean, their body size are usually a little larger. Men and Julie. Men and Julie, yes. I cannot eat that much protein. Men and Julie, it sounds like meningitis. <laughs> I can't eat that much protein. I mean, most women can get away with eating like 30 grams, 25 to 30 grams and still be extremely full. So more than likely, you are going to be low in protein. And protein, we know, is the most satiating macronutrient. It helps you burn body fat just because you're going to produce more muscle on your body. Oh, my gosh. This podcast, we just need to end it. <laughs> macronutrient. Oh, jeez. Alabama. Oh, I hope you guys got a good laugh during this. But So it's going to really hurt your ability to intake protein. Um, so what you can do, let's, let's end this while we're ahead or even what you can do instead of fasting is just basically put yourself into a calorie deficit. I mean, we have tons of information already in previous episodes on how to calculate a calorie deficit, but, and don't stay there forever. This is the, the big factor. You don't want to stay in what a so-called diet phase for very long, but enter in and out of this diet phase and maintenance phases and you can get the same results if not better results by just being in a calorie deficit than you can by using fasting i, I mean that sounds like the way to go for me that fasting sounds terrible right i've fasted i'm going to be honest i've fasted in the past but i usually use the 24 to 72 hour fast just for health purposes alone i don't utilize inter intermediate intermittent fasting <laughs> We're done. We're, done. We're calling it, guys. All right. Hopefully, you learned something. Hopefully, if you're one that utilizes fasting and you're not seeing the results that you're after, that maybe you can take some of this information and run with it and kind of change some things up. If you want more information, of course, always reach out to us, and we'd be happy to help you along in your journey so you can see some sustainable fat loss results. All right, guys. We'll catch you next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Phoenix Rising. For more information on how to take charge of your fitness goals, follow me on IG or Facebook, or you can head over to KayleeMontoyaFitness.com to apply for a free coaching call today. 
If you have any questions you would like answered on the show, shoot me an email to kayleemontoyafitness at gmail.com. Don't forget to catch us on the next episode. Bye.